Howdy. Welcome to Healthcare Ain't Easy, presented by Chris Matthew. I'm Chris Matthew. Today, healthcare can be exciting one day and confusing the next. It can be awe-inspiring, or it can be terrifying. And with AI now part of the equation, this often leads to more questions than answers. I've spent the last two decades navigating healthcare in various ways, and I'll be your guide here as we explore how AI and technology in general will impact healthcare and all of us. Through conversations with respected thought leaders, we'll explore where we've been, where we're going, and how it affects the way we live every day. Ultimately, healthcare certainly is not easy. It ain't easy. We hope that listening to the ideas we share will revitalize your optimism in the future of our industry and ultimately its ability to care for humanity. As we continue to explore the challenges the healthcare industry is facing, we know that there are many things we still have to figure out, but we also know that with communication and collaboration, those are the first steps that we can take together for a successful outcome for all of us. My why is to connect with people so that we may boldly contribute to an improved world. If you happen to be generously sharing your time with us today, what's your why? Drop us a note on Instagram, it's at sniffle.ai. Facebook, it's sniffle.ai or LinkedIn, looking for us at sniffle. We are always interested in where people find their purpose and their drive and their why. What am I excited about right now? We recently attended the Texas Academy of Family Practice Annual Summit. We had the chance to interact with hundreds of family physicians from across the state of Texas. At the conclusion of the summit, the physicians cast their own votes and Sniffle was awarded Best in Show of 2023. This is more meaningful than any other accolade because it came from physicians directly. Physicians validated that our solutions at Sniffle are what they want for themselves and what they want for their patients. We're doing the right things. We've got more to do, and we're more motivated than ever to keep propelling Sniffle into the market to provide better care for both physicians and patients. Today, we are really lucky to have Dr. Harvey Castro joining us. Dr. Castro is a critically acclaimed author and writer, <clears throat> as well as a sought-after medical media expert and speaker who shares his experiences and knowledge nationally and locally across the DFW area. Dr. Castro joined the U.S. Army and became a dental assistant to help pay for his college education. He then attended Texas A&M, Gigum, and graduated with a B.S. and B.A. in biomedical science and political science. Dr. Castro went to medical school at UTMB in Galveston, Texas. He went to emergency medicine residency in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and then started his own heart vitamin company. When arriving in DFW, his first job was to create over 30 iPhone and Android apps in healthcare and as a speaker for the American College of Emergency Medicine Physicians for Healthcare Applications. Then as a consultant for healthcare companies, he founded the Trusted ER in DFW. With his entrepreneurial spirit, Dr. Castro released a new self-help book titled Success Reinvention, and it's available on Amazon right now, Barnes & Noble and Goodreads. You can find copies of it all over. And he shares many of his struggles and business lessons on how to be successful in both life and within one's professional career. When he's not working, and he's working all the time, he enjoys reading true stories, non-medical books about business and self-help improvement books, and he's intense about learning. 
He loves spending time with his family, especially with his four beautiful children and his new pup, a French bulldog. He resides here in the DFW area. We are very grateful to have Dr. Castro with us. Good morning and welcome. Thanks for joining us. Good morning and uh, thanks for an amazing introduction. That's a, that's a lot, but very humbling. Thank you. My pleasure. You know, this is a real treat for us at Healthcare Ain't Easy and, and Sniffle. There are brilliant physicians that <clears throat> advise us and are on our board of advisors and board of directors and that have helped us shape our mission at Sniffle. And there are brilliant technologists that have helped us build our tech and the advanced AI and purpose our AI. But rarely, if ever, do we ever find a brilliant physician and a brilliant technologist all in one person. So this is a real treat and thank you for sharing your valuable time. Well, that's sweet. I appreciate it. Um, I'm really, I feel really blessed. And, and going back to the first thing you said that really caught me was that the why, uh, I literally talk about that all the time. Uh, and I'm not promoting my book, the Successful Invention book, but that's one of my big chapters is what is your why? And, and I think it's so important for people to find what is their why, what pushes them, what keeps you going. And like, for instance, uh, congratulations on all the accolades that your company is doing and where you are. But I personally think <clears throat> it's probably your why that keeps pushing you for more. And so I, I challenge everybody out there to find their why and use that as a fuel for success. I don't want to put you on the spot. At some point, though, I'm going to come back and ask what your why is. Sounds good. So um, be thinking about that. Let's start with, <clears throat> so the audience knows, where are you from? Um, wh what helped shape you to become the person you are today? Uh, that's a great question. I'm from New York City. I uh, grew up in uh, inner streets of New York, uh, latchkey kid at age five. Uh, literally just walked home and took care of myself and kind of grew up probably too fast. But I talk about it not as a something bad that happened to me, but if anything, I talk about it as it made me more humble, more understanding. Um, it couldn't have been better to grow up in New York City in the melting pot of the world. Um, so I'm really sensitive and aware of the different cultures around the world. And, you know, my best friends were literally from everywhere. So I would go to their homes and eat different foods and talk to their grandparents and have translators. And I almost got used to hearing different parts of the world with different accents. And so I, I talk about that because when I went into the ER world, it really shaped my life. I thought, wow, I, I understand these roots. I understand why they're coming to me. And I wanted to be a better doctor. And it really helped mold my persona into that better doctor because I can understand their upbringings, their cultures, um, barriers to healthcare. And it made me, I think, a better doctor. That's amazing. Uh, having a rich background, being able to be exposed to so many cultures, without a doubt, in my opinion, uh, my parents are immigrants here from a different country. I've gotten the benefit of seeing different cultures. I've had the benefit of traveling to various parts of the world. Seeing that only has enriched my life to be aware of what I, what I have and what I should be really grateful for and what more I can be doing which I have to imagine living in New York City gives you that opportunity to really see that without having to travel around the world. You yeah. get to see that right in one spot. Um, so you grew up in New York City. At what point did you decide you wanted to pursue your career in medicine? And how did that come about? You know, it's another crazy question. So I have this scar as a reminder on my left hand. It goes from here to here. And um, I was about 11 years old. You know, everybody wants to be a basketball player or some kind of sport. I remember running and trying to hit all the parking signs. And one of them had a sharp edge. And when I landed, it sliced me open. And long story short, I ran to the emergency room. I mean, I obviously went home. My mom took me to the emergency room. And we waited for hours. And then when I got there, the doctor sewed me up without anesthetic. 
And I thought, is it because we don't have insurance? Is it, you know, is this how healthcare is given? You know, I, I don't understand. I just remember hurting every single stitch as he went through. And long story short, I thought, you know what? No one deserves that. Like, I'm going to grow up to be a doctor. I'm going to grow up to be that empathetic doc that everybody just wants to see. And I took that, and instead of looking at it as a negative thing, I said, you know what? This is going to be my fuel. This will be my fuel for being a doctor. Um, and fast forward, um, the best compliment I got as an ER doc is people would say, hey, can, I, can you be my family practice doctor? Can you be my doctor for everything now? And I thought, you know, that, that I did a good job. Because if I just met you today, and in that short interaction, you decided you want me, that's an honor. That's really powerful. I mean, that's like, that's incredibly powerful. First of all, at age 11, that you could have that kind of foresight on where you wanted to put your passion and drive. But what a rewarding thing to connect with people in a really meaningful way that they would say, will you be my trusted guide throughout my healthcare journey? I've had this emergency situation that was such a positive experience that I want you to be my guide the rest of the way. Yeah, <clears throat> That's amazing. Um, okay, so you had that experience at 11 to drive your pursuit of medicine. Where did you suddenly decide, or, or at that time as well, when did you become a technologist? You know, I, I think uh, as a, a guy, I have all these gadgets. I'll actually throw this one up here right now. This is a uh, meta glasses from Facebook. They're transition lens. So when I go outside, they're sunglasses. Um, I have them off because it'll connect and I can hear. So if I had ChatGPT app on, it would connect here and I could have this conversation and have ChatGPT answer for me. And it would tell me and then I could tell you. Or in the near future, say this is a nice microphone, I could take a picture of it or say, hey, Meta, take a picture and it would take a picture. Then it would analyze the picture and say, oh, that's a microphone. This is how much it costs. This is what it is. And then put it in in healthcare. Um, I'm going to take these off because I don't like wearing glasses. But, <laughs> but the skinny to answer your question, um, you know, what was the pivotal moment? I think I've always just enjoyed gadgets. Uh, even when I knew I couldn't afford them, I was like, I still want it. And um, this is probably the best story. Uh, I was in the emergency room again. Uh, I think it's always when your heart is in the right place, you do things right. It's not about money. It's not about fame. I really think it's just about doing the right thing. And um, coding a patient, I'm literally holding the first iPhone. And I tell the nurse, hey, we need to start this IV drip. Person obviously is dying. We need to go fast. She runs, gets a textbook, goes through and says, oh, here's the dose doc. And then starts. And I'm looking at her I'm like, oh, my gosh, no. We, we got to go fast. <laughs> Either you memorize the book or we got to do something, but we can't do this. So I thought, huh, there's a pain point. There's a problem. What can I do? So I said, I'm going to teach myself how to program. So I did some really, really harsh program, created the first IV app, and it was on the iPhone. It went viral, hit the top 10 in the world. It sold so many copies that I said, oh, well, now I can hire a team. And so with that money, I started doing 30 apps and just went from there. That's amazing. <clears throat> you make it sound like coding is an easy thing. That doesn't, <laughs> that's not my experience. No, it was hard. It was hard. Um, I, I'm one that I feel like if you want something, you do it. Even if it's impossible, you don't. You tell yourself it's not possible. impossible. You tell yourself you're going to do it. Um, and I think everything in my life, I've always kind of pushed myself on things that I'm uncomfortable. You know, obviously, pu public speaking, I hate it. I hate it to be on TV. Um, and now I can say I've been on live TV over 200 times easily. Um, and now I, you know, I literally like just jump on camera and I'm live and I'm ready to go. I'm not, I'm not nervous anymore, but again, it's just pushing yourself. Yeah. You get, um, frequency breeds 
relevance and frequency requires you to try and do things and put that effort in and eventually become second nature. I mean, I recently saw you uh, sitting on a panel with other AI experts, other physicians, and with a full audience, no problem answering questions and giving perspective. And so you're 200 plus reps in, you're doing, you're doing great. Um, Thank you. Better than great. Thank you. So here's where I really want to, you know, connect. I mentioned earlier, we have this incredible opportunity for a physician and this technology minded person. You specifically found a way early to incorporate healthcare and chat GPT. First of all, for those that are a little unfamiliar with ChatGPT at this point, I don't know who that could possibly be, but will you define what ChatGPT is and then how did you decide to put a purpose to ChatGPT and apply it to healthcare? Yeah, great question. So here's another moment in my life. Uh, November of last year, I, I really think it was the first day OpenAI had released and I just stumbled across ChatGPT. And so for those people that don't know what ChatGPT is, I call it your best friend. Someone that's available 24-7, happens to be the smartest uh, person in the world, that you can ask them anytime, anything. The problem with your best friend, which is ChatGPT, is sometimes they lie to you because they don't want to say they can't say the answer is wrong. And so with that in mind, that is called hallucination. But going back to your question, I'm playing with ChatGPT and I decided, oh my gosh, this is the iPhone moment I just, guys, I just yeah. shared with you. And I thought, man, if I could help people teaching them how to use ChatGPT, then I'll help doctors and I'll help patients and I can actually just help. And again, it started as a public service announcement, nothing more. My wife thought I was crazy because over the Christmas holidays, I was, I was lucky and I was off that month and I just literally just was writing day in and day out. And my wife's like, you, what is ChatGPT? And I would explain. She's like, Harvey, no one understands this. Like, no one knows what you're going to talk about. You're going to have a book and no one's going to buy it because no one knows what ChatGPT is. I'm like, no, no. But the way I see it, it's going to change medicine. And she's like, no one's going to buy it. I was like, I don't care. And actually, I did care. I kind of took it personal. I held the book for about a week. And then I said, you know what? This is my heart. I'm going to do this. I don't care if, if, if I'm wrong. I'm still going to do it. And so I published on January 1st. And since that day, it was crazy because I've been getting calls literally from all over the world, China, Germany, Australia. I've been speaking literally everywhere. Um, and now I'm a big, big advocate of AI and healthcare, just kind of teaching people how to use it. That's amazing. <clears throat> Tell us about your book, um, you know, the name of it. And, and what is it? If we were to pick yeah. up a copy of this, what can we leave? What are the takeaways that we can uh, leave when we interact and engage? Yeah. So I wrote several books. Um, if you go on Amazon, just type in Harvey Castro and you'll see about 12 books or so. Um, what you'll get out of it is there's different audience and different understandings for different people. You know, you're I, AI in healthcare. So your understanding, may, you may want to read my, I have a book called Bing Chat GPT, but the skinny is, is how AI could revolutionize. So for you, I go over all the different language models that are out there, how they're applied, how they can be used. And it's a nice, diverse way of things that you may not know of. Um, I wrote another one called ChatGPT Empowering Healthcare, Empowering Patients, basically. And that one was really just uh, specific to tell patients how to use AI safely because of obviously the hallucination. There's a lot of risk and issues with that. But then how to use it to help you uh, create a simple meal plan. Um, I'll give you a quick example. One of the things I talk about in the book is if you right now, there's a thing called plugins, but the skinny is they connected ChatGPT with Instacart. They put it together. And so if I'm your doctor and let's pretend you have diabetes. Um, I'm looking at your labs and your hemoglobin A1C is the average sugar and say that's really high. And I know it's due to your nutrition. 
then I literally can sit in front of ChatGPT and say, hey, my friend here, he's you know X years old. He doesn't like nuts. He doesn't like fruit. Uh, he doesn't want fish, but I want to put him on a keto diet. Give me a diet for him. And so it'll make the whole diet. It'll make the recipes. Then it'll tell me what you need. And then I plug it into the plugin. And now it gives you all the materials, all, all the foods in your cart. And so by the time you go home, in theory, you could have that food ready for you. Like all the ingredients already made, you know, made, but like packaged and all that to your house. Delivered. Yeah. And I thought that's a good way of using AI in healthcare. That is an incredible way because so much, there's so many barriers to healthcare. There's lots of issues and challenges to creating this perfect utopia of healthcare. One of those is going to be patient, patients following directions and also patients having access to understand when they're with a physician in the office, is there an advocate there that helps them really understand what in the world is this doctor saying? And where you can break it down and use ChatGPT and give that, maybe not all physicians speak in layman terms. And so medical terminology can be overwhelming. And then it's like, hey, I need you to get on a keto diet. If that patient doesn't know what a keto diet is, they're gonna say, I have no idea where to start with that. I'm just gonna keep doing what I'm doing, right? But that example right there is huge to be able to help a patient actually take action and follow their physician's instructions to get them back on a better path on their healthcare journey. That's really powerful. What, What are you most optimistic about when it comes to healthcare and AI coming together? Yeah, I see it as follows. Um, you know, if I grabbed a cigar right now and started smoking in front of you, you'd think I'm crazy. You'd literally be like, what is he doing? But if I did that 30 years ago, you wouldn't think anything otherwise. You may actually grab a cigar and say, here, I'll have one too. Um, and my point with that example is I see AI in healthcare increasing our healthcare IQ. And so 10 years from now, 20 years from now, there may be things that we discover that we know that becomes practice that on my Apple watch that says, hey, maybe you should eat that or hey, um, you know, this is how many calories or you're not moving. Hey, start walking. And so my point is our healthcare IQ will go up. And if that goes up, this is all theory, but I think this will be true. Then the quality of life will go up. The amount of time we get to live will go longer. And so I think big picture is going to improve our lifestyle and it's, we're going to live longer. Yeah. I think the way we position AI at Sniffle is that it's, it's a tool. It's not to replace brilliant physicians. It's not to replace brilliant clinicians. But it's a tool to come alongside them to increase their healthcare IQ, like you're mentioning. I always try to equate it back to, you know, when in the early days when the first stethoscope came out, what was the what did the medical community think about that? Mm-hmm. Or when the first lab test came out, I'm going to take your blood and I'm going to be able to tell you these 20 different scenarios. What was the skepticism around that? When the first MRI machine, I can tell you what's going on inside of your body in 10 minutes. I'm sure there's a lot of skepticism, but you got to get through that. You got to educate. And now every clinician's healthcare IQ has gone up significantly because of these breakthroughs in medicine. That's how we see AI. I think it's it's really early right now. And I think there's a lot of uncertainty or maybe uh, discomfort with machines replacing professionals, right, across all disciplines, but specifically in healthcare. There is a discussion out there of people saying, you know, we don't we don't want to use these tools and try to figure out how to incorporate these tools because they're just going to replace us. And something you talked about that I really think is is really uh, spot on is that it's not a replacement concept. It's it's a shift. It's a 
set of tools that we can use to, I think I really like how you mentioned, improve and increase our healthcare IQ. Will you talk to us a little bit about this shift concept of what the medical profession should be looking at uh, when they consider AI? Yeah. So yesterday I was uh, lucky in that I got to interview Dr. McCormick. He's a congressman in Georgia. And he said three times during an interview, doctors are going to be replaced by AI. And I, I didn't correct him on live LinkedIn, but in my mind, I, I, I disagree. And it goes back to this great shift. I think it's not that I'm being replaced. It's not that I'm losing my job. It's just that my job description will change. So, for example, if I have a dermatologist and I see, you know, obviously, if you try to get to a dermatologist, a lot of them have like months wait just to get in. The problem is they're seeing stuff that they don't really need to see that really the family practice doctor should probably see. And so how could AI help? Well, once we get it down to where it will be, and it is in some parts of medicine, you could literally take a picture of this spot. The camera will say, hey, that's X, Y, Z, or here are the possible diagnosis. And then me as a family practice doctor, I can research and say, yeah, it is. And now I can take care of it as opposed to sending it to the dermatologist. And so the great shift that I always talk about is instead of me doing so much in my job description, now it's going to change. Now the dermatologists are going to see really the tough cases. Now they're going to be seeing their specialty. And then the lifestyle is going to change. My job description may be typing. Well, I may not need to type. It'll be all this audio that's converting to text. Right. I think that's really powerful. <clears throat> we, we've talked with different physicians that have you know, advised us, and we've shared the same thing. What if we could unclog your waiting room? If we were to incorporate Sniffle into your practice and unclog your waiting room with the really, and not to oversimplify things, but with the simple things that you, we could move to a virtual care platform that are pretty bread and butter when it comes to medicine. And what if we could make room in your waiting room for the more complex cases where the patient absolutely needs to be in front of you, hands-on with you in the room. That seems to make a lot of sense. Some of the pushback we get from physicians is that I don't want a room full of complex patients because that's a huge burden on me, the, the doctor, the physician, the clinician. And so we start asking, okay, well, tell us why is that such a burden? It's not the mental burden. It's all of the additional administrivia, administrative burdens that are laden upon them. Mm-hmm. If this is a really complex case, I'm going to have exponentially more criteria I have to go through administratively to document all this. Where we see, similar to you, that's what AI can be used for. All that documentation process. You know, we at Sniffle, we've digitized uh, and used AI for the whole intake process. Now the physician can come in and not have to worry about a lot of those things and be focused on the care. So if we could increase the ability for physicians to see more complex patients. Not only is that good for the patient community, their patient panels, but also it's good for that clinic's practice and their bottom line because they're generating more revenue, which leads us to this this discussion of, excuse me, you know, something that Sniffle talks about is better care, bigger picture. And when we say better care at Sniffle, we mean better care for both physicians and patients, right? By using tech, How do we, for physicians, how do we clear the field of some of the administrative burdens that are put upon them? How do we use advanced tech to solve that? How do we help give patients our diagnosis tool to have real visibility into an assessment of what's happening in their health journey? That's the better care. But the bigger picture for us is if we don't do this now, we're going to continue to see physician burnout climb. We're going to continue to 
allow these bad business models that, that exist in the marketplace today. And I'll touch on that in a little bit. But what we're trying to focus on in this bigger picture is how do we help doctors find joy again in their practice? And increasingly, as we talk to more and more doctors, that doesn't seem to be a lot of what physicians, you know, I think physicians got into medicine to have joy, to be healers, to be that empathetic person that they wanted to and, and imagined when they were 11 years old. But then the real world of medicine comes in and starts to rob them of that process. My question to you is that, is it possible for physicians to find joy in their lives again in, in an AI environment? And how can we help physicians recognize that AI and advanced tech will help them actually enjoy the practice of medicine once again? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I'm a big proponent as well on AI and healthcare and, and how it can help with physician burnout and healthcare burnout. I'll give you a quick uh, couple of stats. The average age, uh, depending on what study you read, says it's about your average age of a nurse is 54 years old with 20% of that being 65 and older. That means in 10 years from now, you know, your average nurse is 64. <laughs> what are we going to do? You know, they, that's too much. You know, I, I, I know that nurses hurt their backs all the time, lifting patients, moving things. Um, so we need to do something. So my big picture here is I say um, ChatGPT is coming out with the robot through a third party. You put the eyes of the robot with ChatGPT4, and now you can uh, help with diagnosis, help with your hemoglobin A1C, your blood pressure, just with the eyes of the robot. This camera we're using here in theory can be ch uh, changed so they can say, hey, Dr. Castro is this much old. His hemoglobin is, when is this? It's his blood pressure is this while I'm talking. That's amazing. And so how can that all be put into healthcare? Well, I think a couple of things. It helps me as a doctor uh, augment my skills. So if I have a room waiting full of 70 doctors, uh, your technologies, there's tons of AI that will help summarize all of that. Epic is working with uh, Microsoft and <clears throat> OpenAI to just work on summaries and using AI in the electronic medical record to make our lives easier. Um, but big picture, I'm, I'm more worried about this technology pushing us even more. Meaning if I have to see, let's just pretend, you know, in an urgent care, I have to see 80 patients a day, that this thing will make me so efficient that insurance companies will start dropping the reimbursement and then mm -hmm. I go back to 100 patients or higher to make up for that. And so I feel like if we're not careful, we need to have true leaders in healthcare uh, working with the insurance company, working with our government. If not, we're just, this efficiency is going to be great, but then the insurance company is going to possibly negate that. So just because we can use AI and these advanced tech to make things better for docs and more efficient, we have to be concerned that others are going to say, oh, look at all this extra time you have. Instead of replacing that extra time with joy and happiness, let's get you to squeeze out more patience. Yes. And that is a real risk. I, I, I appreciate that perspective. We have to be aware of that. I'm not sure how we limit that other than Physicians have to come together and raise their voices, um, which is actually a good segue. So there are, in our opinion, there are bad business models out there that encourage random physicians to treat random patients ongoing. Um, in our opinion, that's not great healthcare. That's not good for physicians and it's not good for patients. These retail models, um, GoodRx virtual visits, Teladoc, getting care at Costco or Walmart is not good for physicians or patients long-term. It may seem really convenient. And like I've said, shared this before, I love Costco, love it. But I don't think that's where healthcare should be rendered. And so these bad business models continue to take place. 
And the problem is that we keep seeing why do providers keep participating in these bad business models? We have not met a physician or a provider yet that says, yes, no, this is really good for healthcare. They all agree this is bad, short and long term for healthcare, but they keep participating in this. So it always has us kind of turn our head like the RCA dog, kind of like wonder why aren't physicians coming together and unifying to stand up against the payers and stand up against these bad business models to say, you're driving us out of medicine. And if we don't do something to change this, we're all going to be in a world of trouble. Yeah. How, do we, how do we do this? Now I'll put on my political science hat on me. Yeah. Um, I think it's just the laws, if you think about it, um, several things. Uh, doctors can't own hospitals. If we can't own hospitals, we really can't make decisions. And so if we change the laws to allow doctors to have more power, then we can unite. Then we can stand up to the insurance company. Um, if you look at the percentage, and I, I can't quote you this number, but I know it's decreasing of, you know, from the 80s to the 2000 and 2000 till now, we see a decline of independent practice. And it's now the hospitals are buying them. And now the hospitals, you know, are making it really enticing for the new doctors, you know, doctors that have no uh, clinical experience and no business experience. And in general, doctors don't have business experience because we don't go to business school. It's very limited. But then literally the hospitals are saying, hey, Come work for our hospital. We'll set you up with your own clinic. You don't have to pay for anything. We'll set you up with your own EMR, all your costs, and here's your salary. And so at that point, most doctors are like, well, I don't have to think about it. I don't have to stress. And I know, you know, I have a huge debt, which brings me to the second part. Doctors are coming out with half a million dollars in debt. And if that reimbursement and that money is not there, it might be easier to just work for a hospital system. So I agree. The system's broken, but I think we need to change the legislation I think we need to educate our doctors both in AI and business, and then we need to unite. Um, and you know, I hate to say we need to unionize, but I feel like we do need a union to help represent healthcare because if not, we are going to have these Costco situations that, for Costco, is just an added product because they're really not making money there; they're making money on the back end. But for a hospital uh, or clinician that's across the street, they're not going to make it. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, <clears throat> those retail models are unfortunately siphoning off a physician's patient panel when that patient should be going back to see her doctor and that doctor that continuity of care that relationship of medicine that medical home that's what patients and physicians should really be having i really think it's interesting what you talk about um the debt load the debt load is crushing for new graduates coming out mm -hmm. today and at 31 or 30 to 32 years old someone says hey here's a $180,000 a year, and I'll take care of everything. Sounds like a good number. But when you think about the average debt now, of over $300,000 to $500,000, especially if you're a specialist, $200,000 a year is an incredible amount of money. But not if you have a $500,000 debt yeah. and you haven't done a lot of the other milestones in life. And that's that puts physicians in a really precarious situation where they feel like, I guess I don't have a choice but to go along with this system the way it's been set up. Let me ask this, when it comes to AI for patients, we've talked a lot about for physicians, how do you see AI being able to help um, a single mom or a family that's also caring for their uh, elderly family members that are in home? How do you see AI being able to be purposed to help patients be taken care of? Yeah, so, you know, working in the ER, I, I would 
work. I, I was lucky again to have worked next to the airport at DFW, and that uh, hospital got to see every single patient at DFW. So if you had any ailment in the airport or flew in from any part of the world, you would come straight to our hospital. And since I was the ER doctor, I'd literally be the first person that you would greet in the United States. It was like seeing, it was like being in New York City all over again, I bet, right? Exactly. You're seeing people from all around the world. Yeah. And the scary part is literally if Ebola was going on in this part of the world and that they were coming from there, then I had to be aware that, hey, this person might have XYZ from this part of the country. Whereas if I worked in East Texas, I wouldn't worry because the chances are really low. And so my point is, how did AI help? Well, several things. The predictive analytics would be nice because you could tie that into the EMR and it could tell me that, hey, patient's coming in. But the one we're talking about patients here, um, the one, number one thing that comes to mind is two, is education. Number one, if you're from another country and I don't know what you're saying, I literally could use AI. I know there's HIPAA laws and all that, but there's ways of using it that I can take advantage of that. And when I'm discharging you, if I if you don't understand me, then the discharge is worthless. Like if yeah. literally I tell you, hey, don't do X, Y, Z, and you don't know, and you caught half of it, what horrible healthcare. And so now using AI, if I can use that to translate into your language, great. But I take it to the next level. Why not use AI to help me with examples from your country? Help me with the ethical concerns and ways of treating. Because just because I can treat you, maybe your culture won't allow it. Maybe your culture will say, hey, no, you're not allowed to get blood transfusions because of religion or X, Y, Z. And so if I'm not aware of that, then I'm saying, why not have AI educate me so that I can talk to you in your language, in your customs. And instead of me talking about U.S. football, talk about soccer, talk about cricket, talk about other sports and put those analogies and use AI that way. That way, when you leave, you're like, wow, my doctor really brought it home to me. Like, I understand my disease process to the point now that I feel better about my discharge instruction. And that's just one simple idea, but why not? The other that I always talk about doctors to help our patients is our brain is really medical. We spend a lot of time on medicine. And sometimes when we talk to patients, we can't break it down because in our brain, we was like, oh, we broke it down, but we didn't. Right. Why not use AI to help with my words, help with my empathy, help me explain things so that when I speak to you, my mannerism, the way I sit, the way I speak to you, is so much more powerful. Now you're like, wow, my doctor gets it. That's that's really powerful. And those little things completely can accept, you know, little things add up to the big things. How you interact with people, the mannerisms, it absolutely does receive or impact how people receive that message, right? What you say is important, but how you say it, how you deliver that message is just as important. And we try to practice that as well. Um, Dr. Castro, this is a real joy and pleasure for us. Um, if people want to learn more about how they can learn from you and uh, learn alongside you, where can they learn and find more about you? Yeah, uh, I jokingly say I live on LinkedIn. So uh, my hashtag or uh, whatever is called Harvey Castro MD as in medical doctor. And I'm on Twitter, Instagram, all of the big ones. But LinkedIn is really where I'm at. I have a fun website that I made. It's harveycastromd.info. And there I talk about success reinvention. It's like an e-course. I added an e-course on AI and healthcare as well. It's over 65 lessons that is on there, but it just goes over everything in healthcare and ethics and all these different modules. So I spent a lot of time creating that, but but it's been really helpful for doctors That's and fantastic. patients. That's fantastic. I'm going to take that course. Thank you very much for preparing that. My final question for you, and then we'll let you get on your way. <clears throat> Chris Shembra is a Wall Street Journal uh, bestselling author. 
He wrote two books, uh, Gratitude and Pasta, and then Gratitude Through Hard Times. Chris has this fantastic question, and I want to pose that question to you. Um, if you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, who would that be? I know my wife's going to kill me for saying this, but it's going to be my first mentor in my life. And that first mentor in my life is my mother. Uh, she really shaped me to make the decisions that I've made throughout my life, really gave me the tools to succeed. And really just, uh, even though she didn't have education, she didn't have a lot, she had a lot of heart and wisdom. Uh, and I say education from a traditional sense. And she really built me in such a way that really helped me succeed in life. So that's the one person I can't thank enough. Thank you to Mama Castro. Um, grateful for the lessons that she instilled in you and, and the fact that we all get those incredible benefits today from learning from you. I'm really grateful for our connection and our partnership and, and friendship. I'm looking forward to continuing to learn from you. Uh, I do think that you're right, that AI can help physicians and patients in incredible ways. Um, so thank you for sharing your time with us today. Thank you so much. This is Healthcare Ain't Easy. It's not easy, but conversations with people like Dr. Castro and the real intention of wanting to help be of service and to help people is what people like us and AI and advanced tech can do for all of us. We appreciate you joining us. Talk to you soon.